0: So I I told the early service, I spent all this time this week kind of writing out an intro, and I was like, oh man, that's really good, and I'm not going to use it at all, because I like to waste my time. Um, But this morning, as I was thinking about what we're going to talk about, you know, something kind of hit me, and I like parallels. And so in the early church, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through chapter 14 for Baptists, sometimes that freaks people out, because... Paul's talking about the gift of tongues and what was going on in the, in the church in Corinth. And really what was going on is that people were seeking spiritual gifts uh, that, that, that edified them. They, they were seeking something for them. That's what they, they wanted. Is they, they wanted what was best for them. And so Paul kind of steps into that situation. He's like, listen, I'm, it, it's not that that's not good, but, but I'm here to tell you that really the better gifts, and he actually calls them like the better gifts, are the, are the gifts that edify the body. Are the gifts that that affect all of us together, not not just individualistic. And, And I know we're not talking about spiritual gifts, we've been talking about kind of spiritual habits, but I just thought maybe there's a parallel there. Right? Because we, too, kind of have that same kind of self centeredness even in our spiritual journey, which kind of tells you how wayward our hearts are, right? That we're, even in this, um, we, we care about ourselves. And so we, we want to focus on the stuff that, that, that gives me immediate results. Like, how do I study my Bible better? And how do I pray? And listen, those are huge things, those are important things. But we've kind of shifted gears. Now we're talking about these habits that affect the entire body. And the truth is, many of us maybe aren't as excited about those, right? We're not as excited about coming to learn about fellowship uh, because, I mean, we like fellowship. We, we, we're in small groups. Small groups kick off September 9th. We have uh, roughly, uh, it's over 120 adults in small groups. That doesn't count uh, all of the children. So over half of our church is plugged into a small group ministry, right? And so, so like, we like fellowship. We, we, we like worship. Worship is good. We, we like worship. We talked about that last week. Uh, Ryan did such a great job preaching the, the importance of corporate worship. We like these body habits, but the truth is, for honest we kind of like to practice these individual things. We care about those a little bit more. And I just wonder, I had this thought kind of in my, in my heart this morning as I was kind of praying through this, is I, I just wonder if, if maybe that desire for that individual gain, that desire for that individual gain, which is important. Again, hear me. It's important that we know how to, to study the Bible. And we know how to pray, those kind of things. But I wonder if maybe I'm um, similar to the, to the gifts that Paul might say to us. Hey, you know what's really, really important? is the things that you do that impact the rest of the bride of Christ. The things that you do to edify one another. It's not that the individual stuff isn't important because we need the individual stuff, but these things, when we come together and we talk about, this this is a habit that we need to do so that it impacts the body of Christ. That maybe we should just give a little more weight to that than we would desire to, because we kind of like to focus on the individual stuff. So this morning... My prayer for us is that God would wake us up to the need to focus on these congregational uh, habits, on these, these, these habits that edify the entire body of Jesus. So join me in a word of prayer as we prepare our hearts. Father, and we're here to talk about you and talk about your kingdom and talk about your church. And uh, the truth is, God, many of us gathered in this place um, do like to focus on, on just us, right? We like to focus on discipleship and learning more and, and, and we like to focus on worship and, and learning how to love you with all of our hearts and, and, and God, that's like the greatest command, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, with all your strength. So it's not that that's important, it's hugely important. But sometimes we put lesser weight in these habits that are for the whole body. And because of that, your church is not the force that you intend it to be in the world. And so today, would you maybe give us a new passion for these habits that involve uh, edification to the entire body, or to, to all of the saints. And would you, would you come now and just meet with us in a powerful way? You, you were here leading our worship just a moment ago, and so now we, we pray that you would lead our preaching. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this space. This morning I recognize that you're the teacher of this church, and we ask that you would um, lead us to Jesus Christ. Jesus, as you're lifted up, would you please just... Um, draw us to yourself? Would you change our minds? Will we be transformed? Would would our minds be renewed as we take in your word, uh, especially to this habit we're going to talk about this morning, that we might leave transformed and changed because of who you are? In your name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to be upfront with you this morning. I I, I honestly believe of all the habits that we need as a a body, as, as the church... I think this is the habit we probably need the most, and yet it's the one that we we dislike the most, right? Because this morning I want to talk to you about the habit of evangelism, the habit of evangelism, right? So if we're going to talk about evangelism, we probably need to define it, and so this is how I define it. It may be a little too simplistic for you, but this is the basics of evangelism. Evangelism is sharing the gospel with others. Hey, that's the heart of evangelism. Somebody people say, well, what is evangelism? Well, evangelism is sharing the, the gospel with others, right? I mean, that we, we, we just share with somebody that we were all created by God, that we were made in the image of God. And not only were we made um, by God, but we were made to be with God, to live in fellowship with God, right? But, but because of our sin, our, our fellowship with God was, was broken. And the Bible teaches us that the wages of, of sin is death. That, that, that because of our, our sin, that we, we can no longer be in the presence of God because he's perfect and we're not. So we're going to die in sin, separated from God. It's a terrible thing. But but it also boasts that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ came and died our sins. It says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. And so God sends Jesus to live the perfect life that we can't, to die on the cross and the Bible actually declares that anybody that believes in him, anybody that calls upon his name will be saved and when we're saved, 2 Corinthians 5 says that we become a new creation. Uh, John chapter 3 says that we're born of the spirit, we experience a brand new birth and now we become these spiritual creatures. We still live in the flesh but we're spiritual creatures and now as these new spiritual creatures, it says we are now born of the Spirit as children of God, because God is Spirit, right? And so now we're God's children, we're God's heirs, and as such, our entire mission in life has changed, because we've been reconciled to God. Now the Bible says our job, our primary focus, apart from worshiping God, is to help others be reconciled with God. And that's the crux of the gospel, right? That's kind of the heart of it. Now, now, it can be that formal. And some of you go, well, I, I, don't, I don't know all those things, Pastor. And that's okay. It doesn't have to be that formal. It can be as simple as telling your story, right? Sometimes we call that our testimony. I, I was blind, but now I see, right? I was dead, but now I'm alive. So, so, so listen, evangelism in its simplest form is just sharing the gospel with somebody else. Telling them what has happened to you because of Jesus. That's it. That's what evangelism is. Okay, so having described it, now we need to talk a little bit about this habit. Okay, and so I've got three things I want to share with you this morning, and here's the first. Here's the first thing I want you to understand that this thing called evangelism is expected of us by God. This thing called evangelism is expected of us. By God. Okay, another way to say that is now that we are followers of Christ, now that we're new creations, that kind of comes with a new purpose, right? And, and, and that new purpose, that new duty, that new responsibility is that we, we help others along the way. And so I want to prove this to you in, in two fashions. The first is just um, through scripture. Kind of Ryan talked about this last week. We could say for every point because the Bible says so, right? So I'm going to show you, boy, does the Bible say so. And I'm just going to give you a handful of places that the Bible says so. But I want you to know that God says He expects this of you, okay? The second way I want to prove it to you is through an analogy that's based on Scripture. And, and, and I think maybe um, we've talked about this thing in church before, but maybe it hasn't made sense to you. And so my morning, uh, this morning, my prayer is that it kind of all clicks. So let's start with Scripture. And if we're going to talk about what the Bible says about this expectation for us to be witnesses, we kind of begin with a great commission, right? This is the great calling that God puts on his people, Matthew 28, um, 19 and 20, right? Uh, the, basically, it starts in verse 18, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me therefore I say to you and Jesus says go and make disciples Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And he says, and surely I'm going to be with you to the very end of the age. And so we, we begin here when, when we say, listen, are we called to this thing called evangelism? And the answer is, absolutely we are. And, and by the way, this wasn't just something, this isn't just for the apostles, right? This is for every follower of Christ. Jesus, you'll notice, he didn't say, um, excuse me, real quick, I'd like everybody with the gift of evangelism to come forward, Right? Because that's how we treat it. We're like, well, I, don't, I just don't have the gift of evangelism. That's not, that's not my gift, and so I'm just not going to do it. Like, Jesus didn't break down the meeting that way. He could have. He could have said, um, I'd like everyone with a gift of evangelism to come forward. I'm going to lay hands on you, and I'm going to send just you out, and you're going to change the world, just you that, that are gifted. in." But that's not the expectation. Jesus says, I expect all of you to do this. Now, some of you are going to be more gifted. This may actually become your vocation. You may actually, like, like raise up and be in ministry, and you may, you may go be an evangelist, right, Philip? who actually was a deacon, by the way, he wasn't even a pastor. Sometimes we think in church that, well, this is the pastor's job, right? It's the pastor's job to do this. The pastor, we pay him and he's gonna go and he's gonna evangelize and that's what he's gonna do, right? But no, Jesus is no, by the way, let's do some math. Um, If there's one pastor and that one pastor goes out every week and shares Christ with somebody, and let's just say that, that God willing, like every time he shares Christ with somebody, that person receives Jesus, right, okay? Every week, he brings one person back, right? That's, that's good. Isn't that good? I mean, we'd have 52 baptisms that year. It'd be pretty good, right? Okay? Yeah. Now imagine with me if the entire congregation realized that this was God's call on their life, and every week they went out. You know what would happen? We'd run out of room in two weeks. Period. Right? So we've got to change that mindset. We've got to change that mindset. So, so we start Matthew twenty-eight nineteen 19 through 20. Then there's this um, in Mark sixteen fifteen. He says, I'm going to all the world and preach the gospel to all of creation. I don't know what you think about, when I, but I thought, to all of creation, maybe I should start practicing on the rocks, you know? <laughs> like, hey, man, did you know that God made everything that we see and we don't see? And I just kind of work. Maybe then I'd be more comfortable with, with people. And then we've got Luke 24, 46 through 47, he says to him, this is what's written, the Messiah is going to suffer, rise from the dead the third day, and repentance and for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. And then, of course, Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power, and you are going to be my witness. In Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Acts 1 eight. And then there is the passage. I was talking to you about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, verse 17 says, Now in Christ we're new creations. The old is gone. We've been made new. And then in verse 18, it says this, Everything is from God. Some translation says, And all this is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses or their sins against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to who? To who? To us. He's, con- he's committed this message of reconciliation to us. So, so we're going to start here. We talk about evangelism. It is expected of us by God. Okay, It's commanded. The Bible says so. That's a good place to start. But, but more than that, I want to I, I explain to you why that's the case. And maybe you've never thought about this before, but something um, really, really cool happened um, when, when Jesus died on the cross for So I'm going to start with a question. Um, we talked about prayer for a little over a month. Do we need somebody else? Uh, do we need to go to somebody else so that we can talk to God? Do we need somebody, do we need a mediator? No? Is there anybody that has some special level of access to God that we do not have? No, you guys seemed unsure on that one. I don't know, maybe, maybe. Maybe. Um, Right, no, no, nobody had. So, so in other words, another way to say that is we no longer need a priest, right? Whereas they used to have to go through a priest, and the priest was the only one that could go into the tabernacle or into the temple. So, so listen, um, why is that the case? So this morning I want to show you why that's the case. So open your Bibles with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 7. Uh, book of Hebrews chapter 7. If you didn't bring one, there's one in the pew rack in front of you. You can use your, uh, your phone, uh, tablet, whatever you need to do. But I'm in Hebrews chapter 7. And what I want to do is just kind of explain to you this whole priest thing, uh, the thought of this. So I'm in Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 11. And we're going to read all the way through 22, 11 through 22. And it says this, it says, now if perfection came through the Levitical priesthood, uh, for on the basis of For on the basis of it, the people received the law. What further need was there for another priest to appear, said to be according to the order of Melchizedek and not according to the order of Aaron? For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must be a change of law as well. For um, For the one of these things are spoken about belong to a different tribe. No one from it has served at the altar. Now, it is evident that our Lord came from Judah, And Moses said nothing about this tribe concerning priests. And this becomes clearer if another priest like Melchizedek appears, who did not become a priest based on a legal regulation about physical descent, but based on the power of an indestructible life, for it has been testified you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So the previous command is annulled because it was weak and unprofitable, for the law perfected nothing. But a better hope is introduced through which we now draw near to God. None of this happened without an oath. For others became priests without an oath, but he became a priest with an oath made by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has also become the guarantee of a better covenant. Here's the gist of what's that saying in Hebrews chapter 7. Ready? Jesus has become our high priest. Jesus has, has taken on the role of our high priest. And, 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 and it's really important because now, because Jesus is our, our high priest, look at what verse 19 says. It, says. it says, now we can draw near to God. Because of Jesus, because he's our high priest, we can draw near to God. God. Um, Hebrews chapter 4 uh, explains this whole thing this way. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize for our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way and yet is without sin. Let's go on to the end of it. Therefore, get this, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Okay, so saying because Jesus is our high priest, we get to approach God, we get to approach the throne of grace with boldness. Now, how does this transpire? We have to understand, when Jesus died on the cross and he says, it's finished, you remember the moment that he died, there was a curtain in the temple that was torn in two. That that temple curtain separated the, 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 the rest of the temple from the Holy of Holies, that place where God's presence dwelt, where only the high priest could go. And so when Jesus died, that curtain is torn in two. And the Bible says that he now is our high priest. And because of him, we now can go into that place. We can now go into the very presence of God himself, which means something about us. Us, This is crazy. It means something about us. It means that we, according to the word of God now, check this out, Peter might say it best, we are now priests. You see that? Says, but we are a chosen race, a royal What? priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, right? So you had the high priest and then working with the high priest are the other what? priest? And only the priests were the ones that had access to to the inner sanctum, not not just the Holy of Holies, but even to go into the tabernacle. And and Jesus is saying, listen, because of what I've done for you, this is what the Bible says, because of what Christ has done for us, we now have that access. We can now boldly approach the throne of Christ. So let's ask this question of ourselves. What does it mean to be a priest? How does that change the way we think about our, our, our job here on earth? Right, Because priests had certain duties. What were the things a priest would do? Well, a priest would would pray, right? Now, we have direct access to God. And, of course, it's always nice to ask people to pray for us, right? But but we actually have that access. We go, Jesus, man, I'm struggling with this right now. I want to wring somebody's neck. I need you right now to help me out. We have this direct access to God. That's awesome. What else does a priest do? A a priest doesn't just pray. A a priest also uh, worships, right? They make sacrifices. What did we just do a moment ago? We just made a sacrifice of praise. Right, Just made us say, "We just give, man, God, here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you this part of me. I'm just gonna sing with all my lungs, even, even in those moments I don't feel like it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna praise you as my Creator." Right? What else does a priest do? What do they do? They tell other people about God. It's part of the duty. It's part of the responsibility. It, it, it it, it comes with membership. (laughs) So what I'm saying to you this morning is, listen, not only does God command it, but God has provided a way for you to do it, all right? We are expected, we are expected to tell other people about Jesus. It's expected of us by God, okay? All right, so not only is it expected, second point, I want you to say that it's empowered. It's empowered. Evangelism is empowered by God. And what I'm gonna submit to you today is it's, it's actually like, uh, I'm going to say doubly empowered, but that's, that's, not, that's not right. It, it's, uh, it's exponentially empowered by God. And I, I, want to, I want to explain to you what I mean. So, so the gospel itself, the good news about Jesus, listen to what the word of God says about it. This is pretty cool. Um, Romans 1.16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's what? Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. The gospel itself, the message of, of Jesus Christ is empowered. Just the message itself is empowered. And what kind of power is it? It is the power of God, Scripture says. That, that, that means that the message that Jesus has died for your sins it has the power to, to create new life. That's crazy. It has the power to create new life. Just the message of, of, of Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel, has the power to make dead things alive, has the power to raise up dry bones. It has the power to make something out of nothing. Just, just fathom that for a second. The power of God flowing through a message. The message itself is empowered. It's, it's amazing. But get this, not only is the message empowered, get this, ready? So is the messenger. Acts 1.8 says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive what? Power to be my witnesses. So so think through this with me, right? If we were doing addition, we would say, well, the, the gospel is empowered plus I'm empowered, but that's not the way that it works, right? God uses us to deliver the gospel. So it's multiplication. So we've got the power go, going, going through, the power of being empowered. Um, and, and so the beauty of this is that God basically empowers both the message and the messenger. And so going forth is an empowered messenger delivering an empowered message that has the power to bring life. To bring life. It's huge empowered by God, the power of an all-powerful God to to save. Uh, Let me ask you this. If that's the case, and it is, by the way, if we're expected by God to evangelize, and and both the message is empowered, and so is the messenger, ask this question. And why don't we do it? Right? Right? So the, that's, the only, oh, that's a fair question. If that's the case, if it's expected by God, if it's commanded by God, if he says, listen, the message itself, the gospel is power. It's power for salvation, just the gospel. Like my, my store, I was dead, but now I'm alive. Like there's power in that. And not only is there power in that, but then God empowers us to share that. Then why are we not sharing it? I came up with two reasons, ready? That's kind of our third point. If we're going to be faithful witnesses for Christ, we must overcome these two things. Uh, our dread and our discipline problems. We must overcome our dread and our discipline um, problems. Okay? I think there's two primary reasons we, we, we don't practice evangelism. The first of those, I, I, I think, is fear, right? Fear of rejection, fear of failure. We're, we're afraid we're just going to mess it up. We're afraid that we don't know enough. Talked about this with, with the deacons uh, last Monday night. And sometimes it, we, we, just, we just have this wrong belief, like, man, I just don't know enough. And so, um, but, but there's some things that we, we know to be true. I, I say this often in the church. Um, some of us even have t-shirts. Zach Williams uh, stole it and made a song out of it. Uh, we know that fear is what? Fears a liar, right? So I just want to show you this morning that those fears that you believe about evangelism that are holding you back are actually frauds. It's just, it's just lies, okay? And so let's kind of destroy some of these fears. And the first one, let's talk about the that you're gonna mess it up or that you're gonna fail. Okay? Well, I don't do it because I'm just afraid that I'm afraid that I'm gonna fail. Or or better yet, you've tried it and you feel like you crashed and burned. So because somebody didn't receive. Because somebody didn't respond, you felt like a failure. And by the way, good general rule of thumb, we don't do the things that we fail at, right? We like to to win, so we tend to focus on the things that we're good at, right? Because you didn't go to college and go, hey, 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 what class could I get a D in, right? What what, what subject is, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to fail over and over and over and over and over. We're going to go do that for a living, right? No, we tend to focus on the things that we're good at. And so if evangelism is something, every time somebody doesn't respond, we view that it's a failure, the truth is we will never do it. But what if, what if it's not about them receiving it? What if that's not how success in God's eyes uh, judges evangelism, right? I want you to write this down. It's not our job to save. It's just our job to share. I'm going to say that again, it's not our job to save, it's just our job to share, okay? That's what God expects, God expects that we'll be faithful, that we'll we'll share, right? That, that, That means some things, that means that a lack of response is not failure, a lack of response does not equal failure, but one act of sharing does equal faithfulness. See, if, if I go out and I share the gospel with somebody, and I feel like I've crashed and burned because they reject me, they make fun of me, whatever. Like, like by the way, um, the majority of people do not respond to the gospel the first time they hear it. Did you know that? So, so like, like, knowing that, you don't even know where you are in the line. Maybe you're the first seed that was ever planted. Maybe you came by and somebody planted that seed a few years ago, and you're just watering it. But it needs, it needs days, uh, years more of sunlight and attention before it's finally going to take root, Right? Okay, so, so we can't judge it that way. So when somebody rejects it, when somebody doesn't respond, that's not failure. But every time we share, it is faithfulness. It is faithfulness, all right? That brings me um, to one of my favorite fears is the fear that we don't know enough, Right? Pastor, I just, I'm afraid, again, it's like I'm going to mess it up. I'm not afraid of just failing, but I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up because I don't know enough, right? And yet, we've been in the church like a long time. Here's what I want to show you this morning. It's great. So we're going to turn to John chapter 9. We're going to just read a whole bunch of scripture. And what I want to show you this morning uh, in John chapter 9 is that you know enough, right? Because we're going to read a story about a dude that got saved and 30 minutes later witnessed to the smartest religious people of his day. Okay, so John chapter 9, just turn there with me, starting in verse 1. Starting in verse 1, it says this, and it says, And in he was passing, as he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground. He made some mud from the saliva and he spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he left, he washed, and he came back, what? Seeing. Go back to verse 1. Dude was blind since birth. He came back seeing, Okay? He came back saying, some, um, uh, his neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some of them said, he's the one. Others were saying, no, no, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So they asked him, then how were your eyes open? And he answered, the man called Jesus made some mud. He spread it on my eyes and he told me to go to Siloam and wash. And so when I went and I washed, I received my sight. Where is he? They asked him, I don't know, he said. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened, it, uh, and opened his eyes was the Sabbath. And then the Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, he told them, I wash and I can see. Some of the Pharisees said this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath but others were saying how can a sinful man perform such signs and there was a division among them. Again they asked the blind man what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet he said the Jews did not believe this about him that he was blind and received his sight until they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. They asked him "Is, is this your son the one that you say was born blind? How then does he now see? They say in verse 20 we know this is our son and that he was born blind his parents answered but we don't know how he now sees and we don't know who opened his eyes ask him he's of age he'll speak for himself verse 22 says his parents said these things because they were afraid of the jews since the jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as messiah he would be bl- he would be banned from the synagogue that's bad religion this is why his parents said he's of age ask him So a second time they summoned the man who had been blind and they told him to give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why, why? Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? See, the man is now a follower of Jesus. They ridiculed him. You're the man, uh, you're that man's disciples, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. Well, this is an amazing thing, the man told him. You don't know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone open the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. You were born entirely in sin, they replied. And are you trying to teach us? Then they threw him out. (laughs) Listen, here's what I love about that passage. For all the people that say, listen, I don't know enough. I I don't know if I can share Christ. I I don't know enough. Well, brother, let me tell you why you know enough. Because that dude got saved 30 minutes before that confrontation. That, that guy got saved like a half an hour, maybe an hour before. Like, Jesus comes to him and says, hey, you want to see? Like, spits in the ground, puts mud in his eyes, says, go wash off. He washes off, and imagine this, a guy who has been a beggar, who's never been able to see, now walks into the town and is like, hey, what's up, Sue? Hey, Roger, how are you? I mean, I mean it's, it's insane. And they're like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, what has happened? And then the religious people are like, well, that's not from God. I mean, clearly God doesn't work on the Sabbath. Isn't isn't that the opposite of worship, by the way? Think that God doesn't work on the Sabbath? So so Jesus, man, he shows up and he does this amazing thing. And, And this is what I want you to see, okay? Ready? This guy was saved half an hour earlier, and he schools the most religious people about what God has done in his life. Listen, where he's from, I can't tell you, but I got a good idea, because people that are not of God can't do these kind of things. Here's what I know. I was blind, and now I see. That's what I know. What do you know? Listen, if this man can do that, then what is stopping us, right? So listen, if that erases our fears, and the truth is that fear is just a liar to evangelism, then all that's left is one thing. If the reason we're not evangelizing cannot have anything to do with fear, because fear is a lie, then the only reason we're not doing it, ready, is a lack of faithfulness. It's a lack of discipline. It's a lack, it's just not doing it. It's just not doing it. So that's what we're gonna address. So let me tell you how to do it. Some things that you can go and work on this week. Number one, ready, this week, you're gonna change up your prayer life. Put it in your journal, um, the time you're praying. I want you to pray for divine appointments and the spiritual eyes to see them, okay? Divine appointments is like basically saying, God, would you put people in my path that, that I can share what you've done for me in my life with, okay? Just put those people in my path. Now, here's the problem. Don't just pray that he'd put them in your path. Then you also need to pray that you would see them when they come because what happens a lot of times, we don't, we don't do the second half of that equation. Um, we, we pray for divine opportunities. We get divine opportunities. We walk right past divine opportunities because we're stuck in our own life, Okay? God, give me the spiritual eyes to see them. I want to see the armies that surround. Let me see the spiritual battle going on. Let me see people that need you. Let me hear the words that they say that spark my attention to talk about how good you are, okay? So we start there. Um, Pray for divine appointments, spiritual eyes to see them. Number two, um, we need to get our story straight. What is your story, right? I, I, I mean, it'd be great, some, some of you, like, I mean, your story is that, I mean, listen, I was, I was blind, but now I see, I was lost, but now I'm found, right, I mean, my, my story, if people want the basic of my testimony, I was a point in my life that, that, that I felt like I had no value, that I felt I had no worth, that I didn't think, I didn't think life was, was really all it was cracked up to be, I felt like I'd been lied to, and then out of nowhere, God just invaded my life. And he gave me purpose, and he gave me passion, and he changed me. And I wish that I could put it into better words than that, but all I can say is I was alone. I I, I thought nobody cared about me. I had no place to turn, and then God became my everything. And now none of that stuff matters, right? It's a basic story. What's your basic story? Now, somebody says, well, I was raised in church, pastor. I mean, I accepted Jesus when I was eight. My basic story's not as, it's not like that. It's not as revolutionary. I wasn't 20 when I got saved or 30, right? I mean, it was eight, and and, and then I feel like I've always known. Well, then your story's better, right? Because you know more about the gospel than I did. So, so your story, like, you know how Jesus did it, man, man. when I was eight years old, just as a little kid, I knew that I needed Jesus, and I said, Jesus, come into my life. And he did. And you know what? Most of my life I've walked with Jesus, but the older I've gotten, the more and more I've known that I need him. And so, so all I could say is, like, I've just come to know Jesus in such an intimate and late way. I know he never leaves me. I know he never forsakes me. I know that his word is true. I know that his promise can be kept. Like, and, and you just begin to boast about what God has done in your life. That's a great testimony. A great testament so get your story straight like who are you what has Jesus done for you just figure that out okay third thing this is huge ready because all that other stuff doesn't matter if you're never around unbelievers if you are called to be the light of the world you gotta be around unbelievers so you have to discipline yourself to be around unbelievers now let me talk to those of you that have um, older children not in the home if you've got young kids, this is pretty easy. I'll give you a formula here in a second. Jen's will like my formula. Um, but, but here, if, if, you, if you have older kids, kind of not in the house, uh, the easiest way I think you can do this is, is get involved with something in the community. Invite your uh, neighbors over for dinner, host a barbecue, you name it, and just invite people over. Now now get this, when they come over, your job is, is I know this is great, your job is to love them. You just love them. You just have a good time, right? right? You do not do this. Don't have the barbecue with all your neighbors that don't know Jesus. And then, and then after they eat, you sit down and say, now let's open up to the book of Revelation. Jesus is coming back on a white horse and everybody that doesn't know him is going to eternal damnation. Would you like some dessert? Right? That's not, that's not the way that goes, right? And so, so instead, it's, it's just, man, hey, I'm going to love them. I'm going to get to know them. And, and here's the thing. As I build that relationship, one of the most powerful tools for you with somebody that doesn't know the Lord is, is a question. Ready? Can I pray for you? Dude, it will build so many bridges to conversations you couldn't imagine. Hey, man, hey, listen, we're, we're heading out somewhere, and, and maybe not in the public setting, but, but hey, is there, is there any way I can pray for you this week? For, for a non-believer, for somebody that's not used to, I mean, we're in church, we're, oh, well, yeah, I'll pray for you, I'll pray for this, I'll pray for that. For somebody that's not used, this is, like, phenomenal. I mean, you want, you want, to, you want to talk to your God on my behalf? Like, like, now, some people may reject you or may laugh at you or whatever, but, man, a lot of people, um, they're, they're shocked by this. And what ends up happening, you become their spiritual counselor. Like, every time they have a problem in life, you know where they run? To the person that says they'll pray for them. Hey, 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 so I'm kind of struggling with my wife right now, could I? And, and it's really cool. It opens up all these avenues to talk about God, okay? So I, I challenge you, man, try, try that. For those of you that have kids, here's my uh, formula that's really easy. I call it sports, sports. Um, uh, really, it just, it, when you have kids and, and you get them involved in stuff, one of the best places you can get them involved, uh, so much stuff happens as, as when you teach them how to be a part of a team that it's not all about them, um, that they have to work with other people to make things work. That kind of sounds like church, doesn't it? Um, and so you do that in a context with a bunch of non-believers. And you hang out with those non-believers. And after the game, you might go get something to eat, and you may have them over your house. You may have, like, and, and you know what happens? I build relationships with people that don't normally come to church. And you know what I get to do then? The same thing I just talked to you about. I get to have an impact on the lives of people that don't know believers. And here's, here's the analogy. This is what I, I would tell you. Um, when we don't do this and instead we just uh, hang out in our Christian huddles, uh, this is what happens. It, it would be like, um, imagine that you walked into somebody's house and they had 52 lamps in the living room, right? That's a lot of lamps, right? Amen? That's a lot. Anybody be thinking like, where are the cats? Where are I know the cats are around here. This person had 52 lamps. I don't know. A little freaking out. And and, and the point is that 52 lamps is kind of pointless, right? You've overdone the necessity for light in one room, right? I mean, you walk into that room, you're like, ah, I didn't need my sunglasses. it's It's just too much. Jesus says we're supposed to let our light shine before men that they might see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. Listen, if all we ever do is spend time with other Christians, it's like putting 52 lamps in a living room and the people that are living in darkness still can't see. Follow me? So we've got to do this. We've got to discipline ourselves to do this. You've got to pray about how can we make room in our life for unbelievers? And that sounds so crazy for most Christians. And listen, fellowship is important, right? I mean, what we do here, and then when we meet in small groups, when we do that life together, that is so crucial because that keeps us going. That spurs one another on to love and good deeds, right? That's, in, that's huge. That's why we do small groups. That's why we meet together weekly, to spur one another on to love and good deeds. But those love and good deeds have to go be done, not just talked about, right? And so we have to do this, discipline ourselves to be around unbelievers. Last one, ready, um, is, is finally when we get there. I know it's crazy, just have to talk about Jesus. We just have to talk about Jesus. Hey, what do we have to talk about? What do we have to talk about? Do we have to talk about our political views? Do we have to talk about all of our preferences? Do we have to talk about, you name it, we like blue carpet better than red, or we think things should be done this way or that way. No. What is the one thing we have to talk about when we find ourselves in these situations? We gotta talk about Jesus. We gotta talk about Jesus. Why? Because only that conversation has the power to save. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. And it is God's call on our life. It's what we're supposed to be doing. He actually has recreated us for this purpose. Recreate okay? He has saved us and recreated us so that we can go do these things and see this in the lives of other people. Amen.